Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. Now, Jerusalem wasn't disturbed for the same reason that Herod was. Herod was disturbed because he didn't like this. So he was king of the Jews. And so hearing that a king has been born that would usurp him, would take his place, he didn't like that. Now, Jerusalem, they were disturbed because, well, Herod was a wild man. And so if he was disturbed, that meant they would be disturbed. And verse 4, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. In verse 12, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Come on, let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. Thank you for the space, this time that we share together. Lord, on this Christmas Eve Sunday, Lord, we're here for a reason. Some of us may say, yes, because I'm in town visiting family or I'm headed out of town. Whatever the reason, God, we're here because you wanted us here. So that means there's purpose behind what we're about to hear. That means that there's something that you want to do in us in these next few moments. And so, Lord, because of that, God, we ask, Lord, that by your spirit that you make us aware of what you're saying to us. Allow us to hear, God, what it is that you're speaking. Allow us to see what it is that you're showing. God, that we won't be thinking about, maybe this is for me, the red velvet tomorrow. But we'll be listening to your word and to your voice right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen, amen. Something about that red velvet. You say something about that name, Jesus, something about that. Listen, family, <clears throat> Christmas time is the most wonderful time of the year. It's my favorite time of the year. I love everything about Christmas. I love the lights. I love the decor, the trees, the festivities. And as you might imagine, I love the food. Like I, I, I love Christmas. In fact, uh, for us, uh, the Christmas season in our house begins on November 1st. Yeah, yeah. 
Christmas season, I got a couple of claps. It begins on November 1st and it runs through December 31st. Now, you may be asking a question, well, what do you do with Thanksgiving? Oh, we're grateful. Mm-hmm. We have gratitude. But Thanksgiving is just a stop on the way to Christmas. Can I get a good amen? <laughs> the whole season is Christmas. I love it. I love the lights. We put the trees up. We get the kids involved. I start listening uh, to all the Christmas music. Mariah Carey's blasting through the house. Uh, Zoe, our daughter, she's discovered uh, this song. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Very interesting song. She makes it interesting because she will name songs by just some random lyric that she heard in it. And so uh, we're trying to guess what song it is. Uh, there's the Maverick City version of Go Tell It on the mountain. And there's the one part where they talk about shepherds. And so on the way to school, she's like, hey, I want the shepherd song. I called Katie, do you know the shepherd song? Because like she's going wild in the back. I'm like, I don't. And then finally it hits, Go Tell It on the Mountain. So now I know when she says shepherd song, Go Tell It on the Mountain. <laughs> but I love Christmas. But what I can discover as you go out and you're, you're shopping or you're on, you know, catch the news and all the things that are happening, it's easy to see that somewhere along the way, I think many of us were missing what Christmas is about. That it's not just about the lights, the parties, the decor, that Christmas is actually about Jesus. And listen, I get it. It's easy to get caught up in what Christmas has become, the commercialization of it. Why would I say that word in public speaking? But I, I, I made it through because I could have easily tripped up right there. <laughs> I'm just saying. You know, God has a, like, what is wrong with him? God has a, a, a sense of humor. Like, I, I'm, I'm a very uh, introverted person. Y'all may not believe that. And I don't like to speak and things of that nature. And then he says, do this. And has me to say words like commercialization. I did it twice. <laughs> but back to the message. But it's easy to get caught up in what Christmas has become, but just because it's easy to get caught up in it, it doesn't mean that it's right. So what I want us to do today is to pause for a moment on this Christmas Eve Sunday to examine this story in Matthew chapter 2 and for us to extract some observations to see what Christmas tells us. In fact, if you're taking notes today, uh, you can call this message Christmas Tells Me. And if you want to follow along, you can do so by downloading the TBC app. Uh, it's available in uh, Apple, the Apple iTunes store and also on Google Play as well. Uh, but we're going to make a couple observations, three observations. And the first one I want to make of what Christmas tells us is this. God came to us. You know, family, humanity is known for its ingenuity. See a problem, fix a problem. You can look throughout the history of the world and you'll see all types of problems that have existed in the world that are no longer problems today because of the creativity, the intellect, and just uh, the sheer drive and will to figure it out. But one problem that humanity, that man could not solve, that has not been solved by man is the sin problem. Because see, sin entered the world through the decision of Adam and Eve to choose less than what God had for them. And so from that moment on, family, we find ourselves with this problem. The sin problem existed. 
And you may ask the question this morning, well, why is that a problem? Why is that an issue? Well, it's to understand now the essence of God. God is holy. And a holy God and sin cannot coexist, which means a divide had been established between the creator, God, and the created humanity. So how do we fix this? Maybe there are some, some standards that we can have that can help man live in such a way to bridge this gap. Well, enter the Mosaic law uh, given, uh, uh, established by Moses. And the Mosaic law was a standard of right living between God and humanity. But here's what we discover in trying to live according to the law. We only continue to see the fallacy of humanity that left us caught up in this cycle, this sin cycle. And to help depict this, I have a, here it is. So here's what this cycle looks like. It's where the people fall into sin and idolatry. And then through their Decisions, God allowed the people to fall into to bondage, to uh, be held captive based on their decisions. Now, the people would cry out for God's help. And what would he do? He would raise up a deliverer to rescue his people. So think Moses or if you're going through the book of Judges, you see it especially there. He would raise up someone to deliver, to rescue his people. So the people are delivered. Now peace is restored. And then Everyone serves and worships God again. But can you imagine what would happen next? They fall right back into sin and idolatry and back into this cycle. Well, in the Genesis narrative, we understand this, that God walked with man in the cool of the day. So God enjoyed that connection and relationship with his creation. But because of sin, remember, he's holy, it doesn't work, it can't coexist. And so now you have the Mosaic law that, that's just, it's not full enough. It, it can't really bring uh, that connection like what was there before. So what happens? So, Jesus, so God looks across the landscape and he sends his son Jesus, the perfect one, the holy one, the righteous one to be the last Adam to fix what the first Adam messed up. And what scripture depicts that very well is John 3.16. That says, for God so loved the world that he, what, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You know what I love? There's many things that I obviously love about this verse, but what I really love about it is where it says that whoever believes in him, it doesn't say the wealthy. It doesn't say the ones who grew up this way. It doesn't say the ones who are from that side of town. It doesn't say the ones who are connected to this circle, the ones who can network this well, the ones who have accumulated this type of wealth, the one who lives in this or the one who, it doesn't say any of that. It says whoever. Can I tell you who the whoever are? It's us. It's me. It's you. It's all of us in this room. Meaning, no matter our story, no matter our issues, no matter our struggle, what we've been through, what we're going through, what we're sitting in right now, God sent Jesus for you. And he said, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so we have to dismiss anything that we've been taught that talks about what we must do to get to God. 
because we could not get to him. So he came to us. But some of us, we think that we can get to God through our actions. So we say, well, Lord, I showed up to church on Christmas Eve. I'm good, right? Lord, I, I, I gave him Bricklayer's offering, so I'm, I'm good, right? Lord, in traffic, when they cut me off and I had every right to cuss them out and I didn't, right? <laughs> Everybody scared to say amen. <laughs> what am I getting at? It's not based on what we do, family. But it's the actions of what God has done. For he so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus. So all we have to do is receive what the Lord has done. Now, of course, there are, there's a transformation process that happens in that. We don't think the same, act the same, talk the same, look the same, desire the same things. But that is what is called the big church word, sanctification. It's a process. And so you can't sit here because here's where the discouragement comes. We see someone who's been following Jesus for 20 years, and we just said yes, and we like, yo, I can't never get like that. Well, listen, can I tell you? They may not tell you, but day one did not look like that for them. But they went through this process of sanctification, of daily trusting and following the Lord. It's a daily decision. You can wake up tomorrow and be like, Lord, I don't feel like doing this. That's why you don't have to trust your feelings. Lord, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping. But then when you realize the worship ain't to me, but it's to him. And so, Lord, I'm a little tired, but I lift my hands. I open up my mouth. I surrender my will to yours. It's a daily decision and a process. But, family, the verse is clear. It's for the whoever. So when we could not get to God, he came to us. And look what happened. 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. Now, what that's alluding to, and I can't go into it in detail today, is that the way of having sins forgiven, because sin requires a penalty, which is death, and the way that people would have their sins forgiven is that the priest would have to make a sacrifice. But they would have to do this over and over and over again. And so what First Peter 3.18 is saying, Christ suffered for sins once and for all. So on the cross, when Jesus says it is finished, this is what it means, it's finished. He means it's done, it's final. There's nothing else that has to take place. He has suffered for sins once for all for the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring you to God. Now, this means that past, present, and future sins have been nailed to the cross. They've already been taken care of. Of every person who's ever lived or will live, Jesus died and paid for all sins. Bringing us what? Back to God. That's what this whole thing is about. Now, the Bible is not written about us, but it is uh, written to inform us of God and his desire uh, to live in connection and community with us. And this is his story, but it's, it's his story of his goodness to bring us back to him. So here's what we're learning is that God sent Jesus on a rescue mission to bridge the gap that sin caused so that we could live close to him. When we could not get to God, God came to us. Matthew 2, verse 1. 
It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, as you begin to read to Bible, begin to read the Bible, uh, or if you, you know, at, at whatever level of consistency that you do read the Bible, you will discover this, is that the Bible is written intentionally. That there are words in there that are not just filler words. So it's something to pay attention to. That's how if you're studying a particular verse, you could spend like forever in that verse of diving into the detail of what it's saying. So what I'm getting at is this could have just simply read, during the time of King Herod, Magi came to Jerusalem. But it said Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. So that means it's important for us to understand where they came from. And here's why. I'll get into it. In Genesis 3, we learn that after Adam and Eve sinned, that they were exiled from the Garden of Eden, where? Toward the east. We know in Genesis 4 that Cain, who killed his brother, he left God's presence by going where? East. We know in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel, the people moved where? Eastward. We know the tribe of Judah was exiled to Babylon, which is where? In the east. You say, where are you getting at? Here's what I'm getting at. Jews believe that anyone that wanted to distance themselves from God would go east because east represented the furthest distance from God. So why is it important that Scripture is letting us know that the magi, the wise men, these astrologers, these scientists, why is it letting us know that they came from the east? It's letting us know that they came from the east to tell us this, that no matter how far east we have gone, we can always come home. See, somebody didn't get that this morning, which that's the next observation. It's telling us no matter how many twists and turns life has taken you through, no matter what mess you have stepped in, no matter what cards you were dealt, no matter what decisions you made, no matter how you on your own decided to make certain decisions, the Lord is saying that you can always come home, that there is no disqualifier that disqualifies you from coming home and experiencing my grace, my love, my healing, my freedom, my forgiveness. We can always come home. And this is the gospel message. This is what it's about. It's about a loving God who stepped down to bring us back. It's like the story of the prodigal son who made his decisions that says, yo, I know I'm supposed to wait till you leave, but I want my inheritance now. And the father does so. And he goes off into wild living, making all his decisions, finding himself eating with the pigs. 
but gets up enough courage to say, I'm just going to go home and see what happens. Do you know what happens? His father wasn't saying, look at this son who's left. No, turn him around. Don't let him come back. No, he's there, sees him coming down the road, doesn't wait on him, actually runs and meets him, which completely dismisses the culture of that day. Men didn't run, but he runs to meet his son, and he clothes him. He puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, showing him that you can all ways come home is anybody getting this this morning or is it just is it just me with this revelation come on now I know you saved sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost but you ain't always been good your whole life it's because Jesus has said you can always come home come on now we got to be reminded of what this Christmas story is about it's about that he is there with his arms stretched wide saying come on home with your brokenness, with your pain, with your hurt. Can I tell you, you said, okay, 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 I know it is. You said, you said that we can always come home, but I've experienced people who bear the title Christian who have not made that clear. And can I tell you, you just experienced somebody who don't understand the grace and forgiveness that they have. Because any, any narrative that says you can't, connect to God and come home, it's a lie. Because the story is that you can always come home. That no matter how far east you've gone, that you can always come back home. I even look at so many different examples that the Lord gives, but even if you look at Genesis. So Genesis 3 through 11, we see people going east. This is distinct, distinct, there it is, I told y'all. Take your time. That's what somebody will say. Take your time, baby. It's all right. Let them use you. Come on. Separating themselves from God. You just go to another word is how you do it. <laughs> Genesis 3 through 11. <laughs> but Genesis 12, we see a shift happen where it's uh, Abram, Abraham and Lot, uh, his nephew are together. And they both have accumulated so much. And really it's lot accumulating because he's in the presence of Abraham who's blessed. And it gets to a point where there's some issues between the two camps. And so they have to make a decision. And so ultimately what happens is that Lot goes east and Abraham goes west. And we know Abraham's the father of faith. It's, it's, it's the, he's the father of many nations. And so from that moment, God was showing us, and all throughout the narrative of the Bible, is that we can always come home. And here's what I love, that God doesn't want you to come home so that he can shame you. He wants you to come home so that he can love you. So any story, any experience that you felt that you couldn't come home because, especially if you grew up in church in any kind of way, because sometimes we uh, in church would put this idea that everyone's perfect and we never had any issues and we never made mistakes. And really what happens is some mistakes are more public than others. And so it's easier for people to judge the public mistakes, but then they don't see our mistakes. 
they don't see the things that we're struggling with on, uh, internally and dealing with, but because of maybe what your issue was, it was put on Front Street and everybody knew. And so you felt ostracized. Well, listen, I'm here today to tell you that was wrong and you can come home. And God was never the one shaming you. He was never the one pointing the finger at you. He's just been this one this whole time saying, I want my son, I want my daughter to come home. As we close today, as we land this plane, here's our final observation today. It's this, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Have you ever had a story that was your story uh, to tell? And instead of someone allowing you to share that story, they tried to tell it for you. Have you ever had that happen? And I'm, guys, I'm closing. Y'all come help me land this plane. I see this a lot uh, with our kids, especially, especially the oldest. It's something about the oldest. Y'all can tell I'm the youngest. Like one of our younger two kids would be trying to tell a story, and all of a sudden, you know, he'll, he'll cut in, and I'm like, yo, let him tell the story. But honestly, family, if we're not careful, we can easily become so consumed with ourselves that we miss what Christmas is about, and we miss that it's about Jesus. I'll even go a step further and say this. If we're not careful, we'll be so consumed with ourselves that we'll miss what Christianity is about. We'll think that it's about us. We'll think that... It's about Jesus being a genie in the bottle. We rub the bottle and he gets us what we want. We, we think that it's about uh, the healing, the deliverance, the freedom. And listen, yes, that's part of it. That's included. That's what he wants to do. But we have to make sure that he is Lord and Savior. That it's about him. And you know, when he's Lord is when we include him on the front end. He's Lord when we include him on the decisions that we want to make. But some of us, we actually like him as Savior. Lord, I didn't talk to you about this, but can you save me from this bad decision? You see what I mean now? He's got to be Lord on the front end, just as well as Savior on the other end. But it's about him. Christianity is not about Jesus doing all that we want him to do for us, but it's about us surrendering our lives to him. Us saying, Lord, it's not my will, but it's your will that I want to see done. You know, it's, it's this reminder that Jesus is the main character of the story. It's his story. And he is the main character. It's not about us. So tomorrow, if you don't get that gift that you left all the clues that they should have picked up on, pinch yourself and, Lord, it's about you. Whatever you got to do, right? It's about him. Some of y'all going to have to work through that when I understand. But, you know, we got the nativity scene, right? And I get it. You know, we, we try to give people a picture of what that moment would have looked like. Um, there's some inaccuracies there. But what is accurate is the position of Jesus. He's there in the center. And it's this reminder to us that Jesus must be the center. 
Not the first, not second, not third, but the center. Matthew 6, says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. First there doesn't mean sequential, but it means center. That as I make Jesus the center of my life, that everything begins to flow. My marriage is impacted. My family's impacted. Our children are impacted. My career's impacted. My health is impacted. My finances impacted. My relationships impacted. When I choose to make Jesus the center, do I make him the center because of those things? No. I make him the center because of who he is. It's a Revelation 4 moment where the Lord is in the center, sitting on the throne. And the angels declare, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and is to come. It's Jesus at the center. And listen, when we position Jesus right, we can live life right. Some of us were not living life right because we've positioned Jesus wrong. And so here is the moment today to say, Lord, I'm placing you at the center where you belong. And the last thing today, Matthew 2, 3, it says when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and so was Jerusalem. Why was he disturbed? Because he saw Jesus, who was the king, who was the Messiah to be a threat. Can I tell you, family, Christmas will either be a threat to us or a gift to us. It would be a threat to us because like Herod, he saw Jesus as a threat to his life, his way, and to his will. And if we're not careful, we could do the same thing with Jesus. Well, I don't know about following him because he's a threat to what I want to do. I don't know about following him because he's a threat to the decisions I want to make. Or we can see him as a gift. The one that came to give us a life far beyond one that we ever imagined. The one to renew our minds, to transform our lives, to be this gift that continues to give. A gift that was given was God expressing the greatest love that we could ever know by him sending his son Jesus, the perfect one. So what does Christmas tell me? Christmas tells me that when I couldn't get to God, he came to me. Christmas tells me that no matter how far off I've gone, I can always come home. And Christmas tells me that Jesus must be the center. Let's pray.